Well, good afternoon on this Good Friday to you, my friends at Epiphany. I so wish I could be there in person with you to observe this most special day of the year. It is definitely a tie for me between Easter and Good Friday as to which of my uh, days are my favorite in the church calendar. And I just couldn't let this day pass without sharing at least a few thoughts about the significance of this day. Uh, as is, I think, natural for this time of year and for especially Holy Week, it's, I've been meditating a lot on the words of Jesus that he spoke from the cross. And uh, it certainly occurs to me that most of these words are sort of gigantic, universe-exploding, theologically powerful words. Uh, Jesus pleading for his enemies, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Not as some ordinary man, but as indeed the divine Son of the Father. He, as the second person of the Trinity, can declare unequivocally that a man will indeed be with him in heaven. Uh, he alone, as the only true sinless human being, has the right, has the actual right to scream out to the throne of God, Why have you forsaken me? Because indeed, it doesn't seem right. He can declare with certainty when it is finished, and he can confidently commend his spirit into his Father's hands. And so we are hearing in these words real reminders of Christ's divine power and, and righteousness. But then there's this, there's this other word in the midst of the final words that sticks out to me as being, well, a little bit different. And that other word is I thirst there's something there's something distinct about that word like like the request made on behalf of his uh, mother to his disciple John in uh, John 19 this word has a really different tone to it this word is is vulnerable it's needy dare I say it it's 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 weak sounding indeed the the words I thirst are the words of a man yes a perfect man but nonetheless they are words of a man. In fact, they're the words of, of every man who has ever lived. In some sense, just to be human is to, in fact, utter the words, I thirst. Now, these words at this point in time, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, make perfect sense from a physical point of view. Uh, scholars tell us that because of the beatings and the loss of blood that Jesus would have taken by this point in the story, that he would have been severely dehydrated. As a real flesh and blood person, Jesus is experiencing exactly what would happen to anyone else in this situation. And the point is, in these words, I thirst, we are hearing Jesus say to us from the cross, I understand. I know limitations. I can identify with you. Thus the author of Hebrews famously says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I also can't help but hear in these words, I thirst, the, the humiliation of Christ. You remember the famous story of Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, and what does he say he is to her? He says that, that he is the source of living water, and if she believes in him, then she will never thirst again. And, of course, he's speaking of, of spiritual things. The point is that Jesus is uh, 
naturally the continual unending fountain humanity desperately needs. And yet, here at the cross, the living water, Jesus Christ, is humiliated to the point where he cries out, I thirst. The church father, Augustine, says it really beautifully in this poetic piece of writing. He says, quote, Man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey. That truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood. That strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Now, in response to Jesus' words, we're told by John that a, a jar of sour wine was there. And so the guards take some of that sour wine and put it on a stalk of hyssop and place it to his lips. Naturally, I think we're prone to sort of passing over that detail as just that, a detail. But, but actually, even that is significant in what is happening here at the cross. David Harisaka notes that uh, we, we have to remember that these events occurred at the feast of the Passover. And during this feast, as recorded in Exodus 12, verse 22, it was indeed a stock of hyssop that was used to apply the blood of the Passover lamb to the wooden doorposts of the Jews. So it's interesting that the end of this hyssop stock pointed to even at that time, the blood of the perfect lamb, which was applied to the wooden cross for the salvation of all mankind, you and, and me. But even more, the wine vinegar that was used is a product of fermentation, which is made from grape juice, grape juice and, and yeast, of course. And the word literally means that that which is soured and is related to the Hebrew term for that which is, is leavened. And if you know your Bible, then you know that yeast or, or leaven is usually a biblical symbol of sin. And so even when Jesus takes this drink to himself to quench his thirst, it is symbolic of him taking the sins of the world into his body. He's absorbing the leaven of sin as he takes this drink. So yes, even in these words, I thirst, we, we do see his humiliation, but also, and this is where I'll wrap up here, also we do surprisingly see a hint of his victory. Now it seems obvious to say that now, we're looking back at this event some 2,000 years later, but the truth is, if we were paying attention even back then, and we, we knew our Bibles a little bit, we, we may have noticed that even at this point, even in his greatest moment of agony, Jesus is still cognitive enough to be quoting from Scripture, indeed even fulfilling Scripture up on that cross. In fact, he is fulfilling the words of Psalm 69. I'll take it from verse 16 of that psalm. We read, Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. Can't you hear Jesus thinking these things, praying these things from the cross? 
The author continues, I looked for pity, but there was, there was none, and for comforters, but found none. They gave me poison for food, and listen to this, and for thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. These words, written hundreds of years before the cross of Christ, are fulfilled at this moment. And through this fulfillment, Jesus is saying to you and, and to me today, I've done it all for you. I've paid the entire price for your forgiveness. I've taken all the pain and shame and humiliation, and now I am going to declare to you and to the world, in fact, it is finished, paid in full. But first, one last thing to fulfill the scriptures. Let me take the drink. The point is, there was never a moment on the cross that Jesus was not completing everything necessary for your salvation. He willfully stayed up there to pay for yours and my sins. So, from now on, when you read or hear these words out of the lips of Jesus, I thirst. Don't just hear the gasp of a dying man. Hear the declaration of a perfect man fulfilling all righteousness in your stead. Don't just hear the request of a victim of injustice, but hear the finished cry of perfect justice. Hear the victory cry of Jesus saying in these words, I thirst for you. Amen.